organize your amazing ideas into a powerful book, you are in the right place. At the right time to learn how to write your book. Hi, I'm Joyce Glass. And I'm Sherry Lynn Bisbano, and welcome to The Right Hour, nonfiction tips from The Right Coach team. We are so glad you joined us today. Welcome to episode 1206 of The Right Hour. I am so excited to introduce to you Sylvia Warsham. Life has thrown her some serious curveballs but she used them to turn her life to her true calling. Do the what-ifs keep you from writing? Sylvia shares how she overcame her fear and is now writing the book she thought about 13 years ago. She survived six pulmonary embolisms on Easter Sunday morning in 2012, and this was the turning point for Sylvia. She used to trade off her multiple award-winning career in pharmaceutical sales with Pfizer and her life of survival as a single mom to become the Turning Points coach and keynote speaker she is today. Sylvia has been a conscious entrepreneur who is passionate about helping professional women who find themselves at a crossroads navigate change with more clarity and purpose. She does this through her masterminds, coaching packages, conditioning programs, keynote speeches, Focus Friday video series, and Let's Get Raw and Real show available on her YouTube channel. She is currently writing her first book on how turning points are life-changing. She lives in Austin, Texas with her husband and two children. May Sylvia's writing journey inspire you today. Well, welcome to this episode of The Right Hour. I'm excited to have with me today Sylvia Worsham, right, is the your mm-hmm. last name. Um, and she has a maiden name that I can't pronounce. What is your What's your maiden name? My maiden name is Villalobos. Yeah, that one. It means Village of the Wolves. (laughs) So it's a cool last name. Translation. So is there a story there we need to know about Village of the Wolves? (laughs) I mean, there could be. But, you know, what most people don't know about me, a little known fact, is that I'm full-blooded Mexican. And I don't look at it. And I don't certainly speak it, but I am. So I grew up speaking Spanish is my first language and um, and English being my second language. Wonderful. You know, so. so, but you, you grew up in the States, is that correct? I did. I grew up in South Texas. Um, and anybody that's ever been down there could tell you that 99% of the people are Hispanic. And, you know, a white person like yourself walking into a Walmart, you'd be one in a hundred. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be the oddball, you know, because <laughs> the majority of us down there are Hispanic and we're Spanish speakers. So awesome. Well, I'm excited to have you here and learn some more about your story, but also the book you're working on. So first, tell us a little bit more about you. We just heard some. And what led you to writing this book and becoming a writer? Well, I'm going to start with becoming a writer. Um, I've always been a writer. Ever since I was a young child, I wrote short stories. And then in college, I started writing uh, poems. Mm-hmm. And I got very good at doing that. And throughout my life, I've been journaling. So writing has always been a part of my DNA, if you will. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't 
it was in 2007 when I got a prompting from God to write a book on turning points, but I put it off. And the reason why I put it off was I was operating from a a place of survival. Mm. I was living my life based on other people's expectations of me. And I was truly on the wrong path for my life because I was living it based on old belief systems that uh, were, I'm unworthy. And the what ifs kind of popped into my head when I got that prompting in seven, in 07 to write the book, like what if nobody reads my book? What if nobody buys it? All these what ifs kind of uh, came up. And, uh, and it wasn't until I almost died in 2012 that really woke me up to, to my new life. Mm-hmm. And it was in that new life that I found my way to my writing, if you mm-hmm. will. Um, and, and God started to guide me very, uh, very much so during that time in my life from 2012 to 17. I, I was guided to become a speaker, coach, and trainer with the John Maxwell team. And, and becoming a coach really opened up my eyes to how our minds work mm-hmm. and how belief systems um, really dictate our choices in life and steer them. And not always in the right way. <laughs> so I, uh, I then, in, when COVID hit, that really, that prompting became very, very strong to write my book, the book I'm currently working on that I hope to finish by December of this year. And I'm putting down all my life experiences from the coaching and Christian perspective. Mm-hmm. So there's several threads in the book that are very obvious and common in the way I want to help people. Right. Awesome. Well, how did you almost die? I don't know that I've heard that. Nobody's really heard that per se. Um, I had seven pulmonary embolisms. I had a 20% chance of surviving oh, when wow. I walked into St. Luke's Episcopal Hospital in Houston, Texas in, in April of 2012. And I had a massive clot that was really threatening my liver. And that was really the threat to my life. And uh, when you have six doctors walk into your hospital room and and kind of give you the the scenario. That's where you read just recently on my Facebook post, surrender to God, because you know that science is only going to go so far. And then there's God, there's all abundant God. Right. And, and the image I had when they're saying, you know, here are your choices. You are facing a liver transplant, potential liver transplant, because this clot is threatening your liver. Uh, and then you have multiple pulmonary embolisms everywhere, <laughs> aside from that. And then they start talking about, well, we're going to give you this medication and it could potentially cause death or stroke, you know. And so you're you're looking at all these options and you're thinking, you know, surrender to God. Just mm-hmm. surrender completely to Him. And it's really, that was the shift, that enormous shift in my life, that turning mm-hmm. point that just said, turn. Um, turn towards God. Have Him guide you. Uh, especially during times of transition is where He's been most prominent. Really guiding me. Uh, and he's been guiding me through my journaling. My journaling has been really a godsend. That's how I converse with God. Right. And, uh, but that time in my life, you know, when you lose your health, you lose everything. Right. It, it humbles you, humbles your career, it humbles your relationships. I mean, you have, you have to start all over again. I had to start all over again once I recovered. And then it was the aftermath of that. The quest begins on, you know, what, why did I survive? I mean, some people die with one. Mm-hmm. I had seven. That's I had seven. I had no business surviving, no. Uh, but I did. 
And there was a very powerful reason why I survived. And it puts me on this path to now, it shifts me from a life of survival to a life of significance and service of others. Exactly. Very, very quickly. So, And I, I totally relate to you with the surrendering. When I finally did that too with my own life, that is when I saw the significant growth and where God has you know, constantly prompted me, go this way, go this way, go this way. And you do, you have a clarity that you don't have until you really surrender. I mean, I have a clarity now. I know this is what God has called me to do, to write, to coach, to teach, and to speak. And there have been things that have come across my path since I've started doing this that, oh, well, maybe I should do this. And my spirit's like, nope, not that's not it. And it, it, <laughs> and so it's easy to go, okay, well, that, you know, that may be a good opportunity for somebody, but that's not for me. That's not the path God wants me to go. And mm-hmm. some people will think you're crazy, like my husband sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Don't they always, though? Yeah, I mean, exactly. Regardless of what's happening. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yes. His, his philosophy is, um, Women are all crazy. It's just what level of crazy a man can deal with. So, <laughs> and I think there's a little bit of truth to that. So, <laughs> but I feel like it goes reverse too. Men have their own issues as well. I think but, too. <laughs> yes. So I, I do. I, I love how you are putting that out there for people to help them. Because when you come to those crossroads, That's, you know, and especially in a life altering event like that, you have two choices, surrender or fight it. And if you fight it, you're probably yourself, you're probably not going to win. You're probably not going to come out as well as if you just surrender and let God handle it. Um, Because like you, there have been many times where I wasn't sure how God was going to work something out, but I knew this is what I needed and or something I wanted to do. And only God could line things up. And I'll give you the, the the short version because I know we don't have all day to go over this. But the biggest one that I always remember when I have a problem and, and I'm facing a struggle and I'm not sure which way to go, I always remember this. When I got pregnant with my son, I had just started a new job. And I had really, my husband and I had talked about me staying home, but at the time he had finished his master's it'd been about a year or so and he was still looking for his real job. And so we really didn't have the income for me to stay home. So I was planning on being, you know, having to work after I had him and I was working for an insurance company. Well, I was pregnant um, six months to the day when I went into early labor and at six months you get a week's vacation. Well, a about a month or so before this, I had asked for two weeks off before my due date because I wanted some time to nest and rest. And, you know, if he showed up a little early or whatever. And they said, and I got one paid and I said, I want to take one unpaid. Well, they fought me on it. And they're like, no, you can't do that. I'm like, you're going to put me on maternity leave. It's seven weeks or eight weeks. What difference does it matter? <laughs> you're going to have to have somebody. And it ended up, I got that week of um, vacation because I took that for that week I got was in early labor. Then they put me on bed rest for six weeks before I had him. So I got six weeks of short-term disability. 
And then after I had him, I got six weeks of long-term disability. And then my husband found his real job two weeks before our son was born. And we found out when he was a month old, we were moving to Augusta. So I never went back. And so (laughs) it was just, I thought about that timing later. And I'm like, it was kind of like nanny, nanny, boo, boo. (laughs) Don't mess with my girl. Okay. (laughs) I got something else for her. Exactly. And it's true. He has something. He sees the future. and. Part of the book is also detailing that. It's detailing how God equips us with the lessons of what's to come Mm. in our future. And that's one constant thread that when you turn to Him during times of transition, He will guide you. And the answers you seek inside yourself, you will find when you turn to God for guidance. Mm. And that's, that's a very consistent thread throughout, like turning points are life changing, turn to God for the answers that you seek inside of you for he will guide you. And the third and final thing that, he, that I'm kind of helping people with is God is going to use your choices mm-hmm. to do two things, right? We said to, to learn the lessons, to learn the lessons that he has for you. And the second thing is to bring um, clarity with certain patterns of behavior. He's going to come in and interrupt those patterns of behavior that your mind, your unconscious part of your mind has created mm-hmm. in part to protect you from the pain you're going through. Another part is to keep you in this current circumstances of your life. So God is going to come in and say, okay, here's the pulmonary embolism episode. I'm going to interrupt your certainty seeker pattern. Because I was a certainty seeker. I was, I was very, I, I was very, I sought certainty in everything I did. I was very afraid. You wanted the safe route. Fear. I went the safe route all the time. I didn't take risks. And God would say, uh-uh, I'm going to take all your certainty away and it's going to be interrupted and it's going to be for your good. Mm-hmm. Because you, you have the potential inside of you to be more than what you're being right now. You aren't on the right path for your life. This is the path for your life. This is the path I envisioned for you. And this is where I need you to go. And I will make sure I use your choice to help you in that direction. And so those are are truly the three threads that I've noticed in every single chapter. It's been communicated. Mm -hmm. Every story I share of my life, of how I transcended pain, how I managed to turn that pain into something beautiful. Mm-hmm. And transition and navigate that change with more clarity and more purpose and the purpose that he had for my life. Yeah. And unfortunately, it's fortunately, unfortunately, we have to have pain to make yeah. the changes sometimes because, because we do, we are creatures of habit and comfort. And if there's an easy way to do it, that's the way we naturally want to do it. But a lot of times, there isn't an easy way to do it because it, we've got that requires us to get out of our comfort zone and go mm-hmm. wherever the direction is he wants us to go. And so I love how that is going to help so many people um, with your book. And what is the name of your book? Right now, it's yet to be untitled. I know I sent you something in the original questionnaire. Um, and it's still up in the air, honestly, but I, I think it's along the lines of find her because it's really a, a love letter written to women, mm-hmm. women who are at a, a crossroads in life. And it's, 
it's my love for women because as a woman and as a mother, going through these changes in life are very critical and and essential to, to do them in a way that's not going to impact your children mm-hmm. so that your children have the best possible chance of being happy, well-adjusted adults right. because you're modeling the best version of you because change will do like if you stay stuck in that pain for a long time, you will model those limiting behaviors mm-hmm. and beliefs that are at the core of you. And as a coach, it's a coach in a Christian book. So it's from that perspective that I guide people through the coaching process. Right. How to read your mind to uncover that and, and navigate that change. Yeah. And I, and I love that about the modeling behavior because I'm sure all of us have said, I'm never going to do such and such that my parents did. And we turn around and eat our, <laughs> and eat our words, right? Because uh-huh. life happens and that's our, our model. So that's what we go to because we haven't seen anything else. And there's a lot of things that I had to learn to consciously change because I didn't, I really didn't like the model. And then I started seeing myself doing it. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, no, I don't want to be that kind of mom. I want to be the kind of mom who listens and I want to be the kind of mom who nurtures and and helps and, Mm -hmm. or even the kind of woman, the kind of wife, you know, whatever it is, the friend. That I, when you learn those things, it is so empowering and it's so helpful that, and you can see that, Hey, I can grow and be different as a person than what I thought I was going to be. Cause there was a lot of, um, what do you call it? Not, not, uh, self doubt and just not uh, believing in myself for a long time. And when I saw myself through God's eyes, that's mm-hmm. when I realized I have so much more potential than I ever realized because God's given me the power to do the things he's called me to do. And I don't have to worry that if I don't know it all, I just need to be able to be willing to listen and learn and, and follow. Stay coachable. Stay coachable. To exactly. Him. He's exactly. the coach. He's the mentor. He's the promptings. Uh, we need to listen to more. And I think most people have lost that connection mm. with Christ. They've lost, they think that they think, and I say that very, very uh, intentionally. A lot of people believe that their conscious mind is the most powerful of the two minds. And it, in reality, it's not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it wasn't until I became a coach that I realized just how powerful the automatic side of our mind was. And that's where our feelings and our beliefs and our memories, all these traumatic memories and modeling is there. It's in that, in those memory, in that part of the memory, right. the mind of the unconscious, or sometimes people say, uh, call it the subconscious. So subconscious and unconscious is, is they're used interchangeably at times. And when I became a coach and I saw that, I thought, this is why we, why we model this, because it's on automatic. Mm-hmm. And until we learn how to interrupt those patterns of behavior, to actually become very, very clear on what those patterns of behavior are too, it's like to get more self-aware. And I think the missing piece, and I, the piece I heard from you right now was, once you loved yourself, when you applied the self-love and you saw yourself through God's eyes, mm-hmm. God is love. Right. And he sees you 
with love in his eyes and how he created you to be. And when that's what happened in this book, that's what truly healed me mm-hmm. because I had never, that was the piece that was missing for mm-hmm. years. And it's the one piece that once you um, establish that in your life and only God can help you establish that, then you start moving and manifesting your life in an easier manner. It's it's not as hard as when you, you go at life your way. Yeah. And that was me. I was the, the charger and, you know, I'm going to figure this out and I'm going to do it. You know, when I was a teenager and dating boys, I always played the game of, okay, let me see if I can get him to notice me now. Okay. He noticed me. Ooh, let me see if he likes me. And, oh, and it was always what I could do to make Uh it better or, you know, to try to manufacture this relationship. And when I had a a couple of relationships where they just kind of happened and it was God doing it. And they were, those relationships were much better than the ones that I chased after, you know, the ones I chased after were disasters and it was because I was chasing after it, you know, and it it Mm -hmm. wasn't, I wasn't allowing God to open my eyes and see you are a valuable child and that man or that boy is not going to value you. So stay Mm -hmm. away, you know, and, and that, you know, it, and as a teenager, you think you know it all. And so, <laughs> I have a teenager, Joyce. I know. <laughs> I'm living it. I'm paying for it dearly for all my past behaviors. My mother's going, na, 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 na. Like, now you're dealing with it. Good luck. Have fun. Have fun you know? with that. <laughs> with it. I know. I know. Well, let's get into the writing a little bit. What has this writing process taught you about yourself? It's taught me several things, actually, that were very, like, eye-opening. One, it, as I was writing my chapters, I saw, much like you said, myself through God's eyes. I finally saw the courage, the perseverance, the resilience, my faith on those pages. And I found her. I found my empowered self, the person I was always meant to be, the higher self, Uh, and it was very, very therapeutic to once first and foremost purge that book onto the pages. It was therapeutic in the sense that I was able to release all my fears to God, Mm -hmm. all of them and surrender to the resistance that existed inside of me. And once I, once I loved myself, once I found that piece, and this happened all during COVID-19, like from the start of March here in Austin till now, mm-hmm. halfway through is where the love piece was born. Yeah. And it, I was finally able to release the shame and the guilt I had held for so long mm-hmm. and, and become the empowered person. So I went from a victim you know, a person that constantly blamed others for their circumstances to an empowered state throughout this period. And it was extremely therapeutic. I highly recommend it for anyone (laughs) (laughs) who is thinking of writing a book, do it, (laughs) do it. Because facing your fears head on is was going to get you to navigate these changes inside of you, these transitional times in your life at a much 
faster pace than if you avoid the pain mm-hmm. and do what I did, which is to shelve that book for how many years? Like 2007 until now, it's been 13 years. Yeah. And, and during those 13 years, carrying all this stuff. Well, it's because it, you it didn't do know me yet, so you weren't ready to put it out. <laughs> <laughs> I, love, I love how you brought it back. Love it, love it. Oh, but I I love that too. And that I feel like the same thing happened when I started writing years ago when my son was little and I was purging all the baggage and the, the emotions and junk that I had been through. And it helped me see, you know, and the more I did it, like you said, the more you write about it and the more you see and can reflect back. Cause that's how I figured out those things with my, the, with the birth of my son. It wasn't probably till years later that I realized it was six months to the day. And then I would, you know, we had prayed about me staying home, but I had no idea how it worked. And I, I just knew in my heart that I really wanted to stay home with him. And I was able to for three years, stayed home with him full time. And then I worked just part time after that. And it was great because that was what I wanted. I wanted to be there for my child. That was very important to me mm-hmm. for our family. And I'm, I love how you can move through that and get the peace that you need because that, and like when you were talking, it reminded me, you can't really understand how much God loves you until Mm -hmm. you look back and you can see time after time, after time, after time, he helps and delivers and you can see him moving things that things that just there's no way there is no way I could have planned any of that out I could not have manufactured that on my own at all Uh, especially the early labor (laughs) nobody nobody can manufacture that one better than him right 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 you know and and it was funny that funny and not funny um a girl in my Sunday school class was pregnant at the same time. We had a baby shower that Sunday before I went into labor on Tuesday. Well, she had her baby. She was actually in labor at the, the um, baby shower, um, but she didn't tell any of us. And when she left, I think her water broke. And that's when she ended up going to the hospital. But then I did have another friend that lost a baby that week, you know, and so it was, she was on like 12 weeks along and it was devastating for them because it was her second or third. She had, multiple miscarriages. I forget how many, and I don't remember if that was the second or third one somewhere in there, but it just, you know, revealed to me, God is moving and working things out. And anytime when I get in a situation where I can't see how things are going to work out, I don't have that certainty. I have the certainty that he's going to work it out, you know, and it's one of those. And sometimes it's one of those, I love the way he worked it out. It was weird. But <laughs> Well, I, lo- I love how he came to to interrupt your se- certainty seeker pattern as well. Yes, <laughs> it's like yes. let me take the certainty away from you because this is a lesson I need you to learn. Rely on me, right? Forget about the how. I will deal with the how. You deal with what it is—the desire and the what. Mm-hmm. You wanted to be there for your son. That's you cast that vision to him, and you uh, were able to. Uh, to get that, to communicate to the mind of God in that moment. And he received that and said, I've got the how. You worry about the what. That's yeah. all I want you to worry about. And that's it. 
And, and that's and that's the truth because you see it. I saw it on the pages. Is my role in it, his role in it, and how I turned to him mm-hmm. every time I was going through trans major major transition in my life. Even as a young child, I prayed to him. The very first chapter in my book, the one I'm sure you'll be looking over tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, and you'll see how, how he's there throughout all those threads and how he guides. And you are exactly where you're meant to be because Mm -hmm. again, he is equipping you in every painful transition you go through life. That's why I say turning points are life changing. It really depends on the lens with which you view change. Mm -hmm. If you view it from a victim lens, you will see all negative. If you view it from the empowered state, you will see how God puts you on the path for your life and and how courageous you were to transition and navigate out of there because it takes courage to face your fears head on and to and to move through that, not really knowing how you're going to get there, but stepping in faith and allowing God to come into your life and say, Okay, I surrender to you completely. And every step you take like that, your faith grows. And and I feel like that has happened with me through my whole life. And I'm sure the same with you. My faith has grown exponentially every time something, you know, that's very tough like that. You know, the last big tough thing that we've been through as a couple was selling our house in Albany, Georgia and moving here. That was the longest, hardest two years of my life. That I would, that I prayed many a day, like God, please just make it stop. It was kind of like get me off the merry-go-round before I throw up. Because <laughs> <You know? laughs> I don't know how much more of this I can take. Please. Exactly, yeah. like it was, it was tough. You know, job changes and trying to sell the house, and we remodeled bathrooms, and then when we sold it, and all the issues there, and just we had issues with the people buying it, issues with buying this house. And when I finally got here and everything was finally settled, I was just like, thank you, God. And there were many months after that, I was like, thank you, God, for a normal day. It's just a normal day. And that's all I prayed for for two years. It's like, I want a normal day where I don't have to clean the house or worry about somebody coming to look at it or that it hasn't sold or what house are we going to buy or, you know, yada, 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 all that stuff going on. So definitely love that. Well, what has helped you become a better writer? Honestly, my meditation practice and my investor reset practice, and let me explain what I mean by that. Every morning at 5 a.m., I wake up, whether it's Monday or Sunday or Saturday, it doesn't matter. I wake up at 5 a.m. and I get my cup of coffee and I meditate for 15 minutes and I get in state to create. And I write. I make it a point to write um, every day, whether I feel like it or not. And I do have a space I have created for my writing. I have also created the time. I've scheduled the time in my day. And let's say I wake up late and I don't get to do it. I do it that evening. I write every day. I make it a point to do that. And the reason why that's so important is habits. It, Mm -hmm. It teaches your unconscious mind. If you want to be a writer, if you want to be an author and have the identity of an author, you must have the habits in place to become an author. Right. And so that's what's really helped me to write better. I've taken nature walks. I've journaled. Um, and it's those practices that have led me to be the writer that I am today. 
Mm-hmm. It's just a constant scheduling. And I know um, doing it daily is very, very important. Um, there were some things that didn't work for me. Like, for example, um, what didn't work for me was uh, not writing. Mm-hmm. I think some people think, well, let me skip a day or let me skip another day. It doesn't work for me because I'm very, um, luckily I'm very disciplined mm-hmm. and once and very focused on the, the, what I want in life and desire. Um, and not writing is, is something that's not within my DNA. It doesn't work for me. It's just a non-negotiable. It's a non-negotiable. Yeah. Um, and I love that because actually I'm going to, put this podcast then in the session for the writing club, this um, training is about creating your writing time in your writing space. And that is important and it is a habit and it is one that can be hard to establish and hard to, if you break it to reinstate it, but you've got to think about this. If you are serious about a writing career, you know, you got to think about athletes Athletes do not become pro athletes by, you know, they jog one day and then they don't jog for four days. And then they, you know, they might do their, you know, if it's basketball, do some of their basketball moves and for a couple of days, and then they don't do them for a month. You can't grow skills in anything without some kind of discipline. And if discipline is hard for you, start minuscule We had Grace on a few uh, episodes ago, and she started with 15 minutes a day. Mm -hmm. And if that's all you can do, or for me, the hardest thing is just getting my butt to the chair. If I get in the chair and get going, I'm good. I'm I'm one Mm -hmm. of these. It's harder for me to stop than it is to get going, which which that's my MO for everything. My husband says, you know, whenever I need to clean up the house because somebody's coming or whatever. I'm like a freight train. I'm hard to get going. But when I get going, by golly, you better get out of my way or you're going to get run over because <laughs> it's going to get done with or without you. <laughs> so, and I, Well, I'll add a tip for any writers uh, or future writers out there. Stack your habits. Yeah, habit stacking. So it, let's say, for example, I mean, make take an inventory of all your habits the minute you wake up or the minute that you go to sleep at night, you know, and, and just kind of do an inventory of those habits. And what I did was for me, what works is I write in the mornings because my mind is freshest. It just works out better for me in the mornings, but not everybody's like that. So some people are night owls. Do your writing then. And what I did was what is it that I do? I wake up and the first thing I do in my mornings is go get a cup of coffee and and I stack meditation to that. Mm-hmm. And once I stack meditation to that, I also stacked my writing right behind meditation. And so I have, I smell coffee and it signals to my unconscious part of my mind where my habits are stored that I must meditate and write. Yeah. Meditate and write. And it's all associated with the smell of coffee. Yes. I've, and I, I've stacked it that way. I love that. I don't know if you read the Chris Fox books that I recommended, Lifelong Writing Habit and 5,000 Words Per Hour. But he says something similar, you know, you have habits. Now, like his habit was when he got up, um, he liked to scroll through Facebook and, you know, social media and look at the news 
after he had his coffee and breakfast or whatever. And he said, all I did to change that habit um, so that I would start writing is, and I wouldn't let myself look at the um, social media or the news until I wrote. So Mm -hmm. everything else was the same. He got up, got coffee, went to sit down in his computer or wherever, and he wrote first. And then he would give himself permission to his reward was mm-hmm. the through social media, scrolling <laughs> through social media. Exactly. Yeah. So what he, and if you read his book, he talks about it as trigger and reward. And there, I think there's one other thing in there, but the trigger is getting up and mm-hmm. the reward after you do what you're supposed to. And then that's what creates the habit. And so, um, and I've actually got to work on that myself. I've, there's, I've mm-hmm. got to figure out what's my reward because my thing is getting to bed at night at a decent hour. Yeah. And I am a night owl. I know it. And I can, I can probably be more productive from 12 at night till 5 a.m. Because, you know, there's no social media going on and everybody's quiet and it's asleep. And, and so I can then focus and do stuff. But this is not healthy for my body or for my marriage or with my schedule. Yeah. And so I've got to tweak that when I think mm-hmm. I'm with you. I think if I would get up earlier, I would have a better, you know, focus and write down because I am more clear in the morning. Um, just mm-hmm. like morning, I got up and did a bunch of stuff and I was much more clear. And when I, it was time for my calls to start at noon, I was in a much better oh, state of mind. Yeah, state of state mind. Of mind. I was yeah. ready. Yeah, I was ready for those things for the because I've got have had calls all afternoon and I've got another one and two more after this, and so you know I it is kind of playing with yourself in the mind, making a game out of it. But what are you making? Make your habits attractive too, right? To right. get you to stick to them, so that you know it 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 works in your favor to right. go to sleep earlier and, and perhaps wake up earlier to do all these things that you don't have time to do right that you're making the time at night when it really impacts everything else so you gotta i think honestly also it's creating a vision for what it is that you want right. because a vision is the gps system that your mind takes to kind of guide you down that path mm-hmm. And that's where it starts. It starts with a vision. So I'd go with my vision for relationships, you know, if it affects your marriage, just saying, and then (laughs) (laughs) take it, take it from there. A little coaching one-on-one, coach Sylvia. There we go. And there, you know, and, and, and it starts to guide you uh, into creating the identity of the person Mm -hmm. that thrives in her relationships. That gets a good night's rest that, that is in state to create and is not like, Oh my gosh. Like what else do I need to do? Right. 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 So. Exactly. I'm the one more thing person at night too. And that's where I've learned I've got to cut work off by, you know, six, seven o'clock because if I come back in here after dinner, mm-hmm. one more thing, one more thing, one more thing. And it's 11, 12 o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. And then I go out of my office and putts around. Oh, the dishes aren't done. Oh, I need to swap the laundry. Oh, I got to walk the dog. Oh, <laughs> and two yeah. hours later, All then I finally things. get to bed, you know, and All so I, and, and it's this vicious cycle, I know. And so I love what you said, because that's exactly what Chris says in the lifelong writing habit is that vision of what you want to be, knowing your identity and 
finding that out. So I highly recommend the book. And if you want to coach with Coach Sylvia, I know she'd be excellent because she, you've got a little taste of it today here. But well, my last question is what words of advice or encouragement do you have for writers who may be struggling to write their book or they're just maybe not even sure where to begin? Begin exactly where you're at. Just start writing. Write it. Write whatever's in your head. Like write, declutter your mind so that your mind is clear and you can hear God speak to mm-hmm. you because he's not going to yell at you. He's going to whisper. And he's the one that is going to guide you in your writing, in the person you are meant to be in this world. Your perspective is needed and you are unique. You're very unique in the way you process information and only you can do that for the world. And when the world's waiting for you, is where it's waiting for you, is waiting to hear from you. So just write the book. Love that. Yes. And when she says just start, she means it. Just start. It that's the hardest part. It's like I said. Journal and pencil. I do pencil. Because then I can erase. If I see myself going <laughs> negative, I can erase the nose and stay in the positive uh, affirmation. Mm-hmm. Uh, or state, the empowered state versus the victim state. Uh And I would just grab my, you know, just whatever journal. And I would have a journal with you everywhere you go. Yeah. yeah. Because the ideas will come to you at the most inopportune times. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And so, and most of us have a phone with us that you can always, if you can't, you know, if you're driving, you can't do the little voice recorder and record Uh your voice. Or if you're with somebody, ask them to open it up for you and, Say, please open it up to the voice recorder. I got a couple things I want to say <laughs> or write it down for you, whatever works. You know, I got to tell you, I once like had a speech that I wrote down on a cardboard next to me. I had like cardboard pieces and I had a marker and I just, I wrote out my entire, I like pulled into a, a, a parking lot and started to write out the speech <laughs> and my slides on a cardboard because I didn't have a notebook with me. That's all I'm saying. I just pulled in and just started writing because when the Holy Spirit writes in you or starts prompting you and starts telling you that, and you find that voice and that authentic voice of yours is going to come in this stream of consciousness and you better be ready to like, just put it all down. Love that. Love it. And that is true. And the other thing about purging it out of your mind that it opens your mind up for more ideas to come because you declutter it, like you said, and you get those thoughts out. And then your mind's like, okay, whew, got rid of that. Now we can bring up <laughs> ideas, you know? And so yeah, you make room, you make room in essence to receive. Right. Because it, you're, you know, we are finite and we can only hold so much information and some of us more than others, but you know, because some people think, well, I just got it up here. I, I'll, I'll write it when I'm ready to. But you're going to miss some gems and some diamonds and and all kinds of jewels that if you don't write it down, that you're going to miss those little things. Because there's a lot of times I've written stuff down and I'll go back to, you know, flesh it out. And I'm like, ooh, that's really good. I didn't realize I wrote all that. <laughs> and it, because... Is that, like you said, it's that download that comes at that moment and you need Mm -hmm. to just get it out. So, well, Sylvia, this has been wonderful to get to know you a little more and hear more about your book. And um, I don't know, have you decided, are you doing self-publishing or traditional? 
I don't know yet. That's I've left that question up to God, the how. I just yeah. have focused on getting it done and fulfilling his his um his message to me, which was write it. Right. His command. Right. Again. Write it, put it on paper, make it public. I don't know how the publication is gonna look like. I just know that I've been given my task and I'm, you know, very focused on that task right now. And that's good. That's really good. Well, if you have it done by the next spring, I'm sure you'll have it out next spring. Um, and so somewhere in the next year <laughs> or two, if she does traditional, then it will be out and I'll look forward to it. And I'm sure we will have you back at that time to hear more about the rest of the story. But I love sharing people in the midst of their story, as well as people that are finished their book. Cause Carmen, who was on, was that last week or the week before? Uh-huh. <laughs> um, a couple of weeks ago, I think. And she and Sylvia are really good friends. And that's how actually Sylvia found me. And so Carmen, you know, is on the other end of this. She's written it. It's been finished for a couple of years. And Sylvia is in the middle of the process. And I look forward to having you come back again when you're finished. So thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. It'll be my pleasure. Thanks. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us on this episode of The Right Hour. Our goal is to help you achieve your writing dreams. You are one step closer to write your book. Learn how to get the book out of your head with the four steps we teach our clients. Sign up for the free email series at therightcoach.biz. The link is in the show notes. The four steps help you clarify your focus, create and organize your content, and complete your book. We share tips on the writing process, and you can download the writing planner to track your progress. Don't let fear and overwhelm keep you from writing your book. It's time to write your book.